Apple family. It's great to, yeah, I can't have. Good morning, Christ Chapel family. It's a great joy to be with you today uh, and to share the life found in worship and in the teaching and preaching of His Word. If you're at uh, home and have your Bible, stand with me for the reading of God's Word, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And if the Lord tarries over the next two Sunday mornings, we're going to be sharing on the imminent return of Jesus Christ. The imminent return of Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, so this is not for the world. This is for those that have been blood-bought, redeemed, purchased of God, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus and by our gathering together unto Him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. And if you just pause and stay with me just a moment more before I finish this text. This is a very overlooked portion of Scripture that brings much confusion about the rapture of the church and our gathering together unto Him because they do not see these, this portion of Scripture as pertaining to two events. It says that uh, don't be shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor as by letter from me, that the day of Christ is at hand. The gathering together unto the Lord and the day of Christ were two separate things. The day of the Lord, all through the Old Testament, was a time of great judgment, great sorrow, wailing, weeping, men crying for rocks to fall, there, to fall upon them, to hide them from the face of the Lamb. So Paul was distinguishing between the revelation of the rapture of the church, Jesus coming for his church, and then the revelation of Jesus, of him coming with his church. He said, I want you to be clear about the, 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 the events of the gathering together of the saints unto Christ and the, the revelation of Christ, the day of the Lord, the day of God's wrath coming upon the world. Let no man deceive you, verse 3, by any means. For that day shall not come, the day of the Lord, the judgment of God upon the face of the earth. Except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. This man opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, making himself to be like God, sits in the very temple of God, showing himself or demonstrating to others that he is God. Remember ye not, Paul said, that when I was with you, I told you these things. And now you know what withholdeth or restraineth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now restraineth or who he now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then that wicked one will be revealed. When? After the restrainer is taken out of the way whom the Lord will consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. And before we open in prayer, let me draw this distinction. Some preachers unwillingly or intentionally uh, try to state that 
He that restraineth is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will be taken out of the world and that will allow evil to run rampant. Well, that can't be the interpretation because people are saved through the tribulation and salvation can only come by the changed heart and the work of the Holy Spirit. This is not the Holy Spirit being removed from the world. It's the Holy Spirit in the lives of the church, the salt of the earth, the light, the voice, the, the, the attitudes, the lifestyles of a righteous people is restraining wickedness until they be taken out of the way and then the lawlessness will run rampant. So over the next few moments, it's my joy to talk to you about the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me and pray for me as I pray for myself? Father, you know all that's gone on in this week and all that's gone on today. You know about uh, the settled places in my heart and mind and the troubled places. And I just pray for a calming sense of your anointing and a demonstration of spirit and of power in the preached word that their faith would not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Grant it today, Father, I pray. For the glory of your Son, I ask it. Jesus Christ, the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Four things I want to share with you this morning about the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Imminent means that could happen any moment at any time. Nothing has to happen before Jesus Christ comes back for the church. The Bible says in the last days there would be scoffers and mockers saying, where is the uh, promise of his coming? Uh, things are like they've been since the beginning of time. Jesus, they'll say, Jesus can't come back until the Antichrist is revealed. Uh, the, uh, the rapture of the church was not even mentioned by Jesus. Well, that's a common sense, uh, there's a common sense response to that that makes sense. The reason the rapture of the church was not mentioned is because it was a mystery until Jesus Christ revealed it to the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 15 said, it was, Beloved, I show you a mystery. It was kept back. It's not that it wasn't going to happen. And Jesus talked about the condition of the earth, uh, the, the wars and rumors of wars, the deception taking place at that time, and even spoke of himself coming as a thief. But he did not explain the, the, the revelation. And by the word rapture is the Greek word... Uh, for us, meaning to be caught away, the perusia, to be snatched away. The Old Testament type of this was Enoch. Enoch was a man that walked with God, and he had this testimony that he pleased God. And the Bible said, and then he was not, for God took him. God snatched him away. No, no watching him leave, if you will. Well, Brother John, that can't be it, because the angel said, the same Jesus which you've seen uh, go up from you shall so come in like manner. Well, that's for the second advent. That's for Jesus returning to the earth and every eye will see him and his foot will touch on the Mount of Olives and it'll split in half and him finishing the judgment on this world. But for us, we know that this was a mystery until Christ revealed it to the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one. Paul said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And that doesn't mean the blink of an eye. It means in the same amount of time it would take for light to reflect off the retina of a person's eye. 
the, the speed of light, that fast, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then we which are alive and remain will be snatched up, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I don't believe anyone will see us leave. They'll see what's left of what we were wearing and the other things. This is a secret snatching away. It's a private. The Bible said it will come upon the world like a thief in the night where he takes the prized possessions. And it's very humbling to think that we could be that prized possession. Him. No thief comes in and steals Tupperware. He steals the priceless, priceless and precious things. And we were priceless not by virtue, but by what he paid for us. We were not redeemed with the blood of bulls and goats, but with the precious blood of the Son of God. And so this, this for us, you need to know that the imminent return of Christ, the reason Jesus did not reveal it is because it was not time in the timetable of God to reveal it until he revealed it to Paul as the ascended Lord in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Number two, the imminent return of Christ is as much a promise as the first coming of Christ. Is as much a promise as the first coming of Christ. Have you ever pondered and thought in your Bible study why it is that the people did not recognize Jesus when he came the first time? Because they had been taught in the day of the Lord and their mind was focused. Their mind was focused about him coming as king, his coming as ruler, his coming uh, treading the nations in the winepress of his wrath where the blood of the slain would, would flow bridle high for 200 miles. This coming Lord, they missed the parts about how he came. It's like looking across mountaintops. They saw the birth and they saw the conquering, but they did not see the suffering Savior. They did not see Jesus riding on a donkey. They did not see the, the, the meek and mild one that would not so much as lift up his head, uh, the one that was in submission to God, that laid down his life freely, that he would be the sacrifice for our sins. They did not focus on the, he was bruised for our transgressions, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace being upon him, and by his stripes we being spiritually healed. But this first coming was a promise. And it happened. The people of the age weren't looking for him. The ones that thought it might be him hated him. King Herod tried to kill him, but there wasn't a... A uh, mass group of people anticipating just uh, the blind priest who was waiting on Shiloh to come. He was ready. There was a handful of others that knew that the Christ was ready by reading the signs of the times. And so it will be in this last day. I believe that very few people will be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. And you know, I've got a lot of my brothers and sisters that believe, well, no, the Lord would never just take some because that would be uh, dividing the body of Christ and he would not separate the body of Christ. Well, we're separated now. My daddy's in heaven. My granddaddy's in heaven. My grandmother's in heaven. People in our church over the last 15 years, already we're separated now. But this, this promise of the return of the Lord, uh, we'll get to later for qualifications for and the anticipation of, but it's a promise. And in the same way he was born of a virgin, just like the word said, 
In the same way he was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. The bread of life was born in the house of bread, just like he said. God doesn't give all the details. And just because the word rapture is not mentioned doesn't mean there's not a rapture. Let me give you a, a case in point. When the Bible prophesied about Jesus coming out of one land, he said the, prof, uh, the prophetic scripture was, I've called you out of Egypt, I believe it was, where God was talking about calling Mary and Joseph and bringing them in. He never mentioned the census in the prophecy. But the census was what, which drew him and his family into Bethlehem so he could be born in the land that was promised. Well, God didn't use the word rapture, but he taught the, the catching away. He revealed the snatching away. And so whether it was by census or divine dream or whether it's by the, uh, a revelation being revealed in, in latter years, the promise still remains. This promise was born of love. Jesus, the bridegroom, is married to a bride or shall be married to a bride just as much as he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. I believe in the rapture of the church because love caused him to die for a world that knew him not. And love will bring him back for a church that knows him well. Love is the motivating factor. He's not rescuing us from persecution, although we may be persecuted at the time of his coming. The world is not exempt from persecution or trouble or tribulation. It said, uh, if you live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution. And in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But surely my Savior that died for my sins, having the capacity to deliver me from the wrath of God. If he delivered me from the wrath of my sin, for the, the wrath of God that would fall upon my sins, surely he'll deliver me from the wrath of God to fall on an unbelieving world. It's a promise born of love. It's a promise born of longing. Hebrews chapter 12. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It said, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy of being united with his bride, receiving the fullness of his sufferings, is the culmination, the rapture is the culmination of the crucifixion. Who, for the joy that was set before him, what joy? The joy of, of bringing us to himself. We don't go to the bridegroom. The bridegroom comes for us. It was a promise based on intimacy. Listen to this in John 14. Let not your heart be troubled, Jesus said. You believe in God, believe also in me. And here's one of those where he jumps to the other side, but doesn't give detail about how we got to the other side. Listen to this. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye, ye may be also. So this promise is one based on intimacy. There's no way to read the scriptures and not see the day of the Lord, the judgment, and the coming for the church as two separate things. 
He said, in this, I'm coming again to receive you unto myself. When he comes for the day of the Lord, it's to execute the righteousness and wrath of God upon a Christ-rejecting world. Two different motives. So if he's coming to get me, that's different than him coming to slay the majority of the world and those that oppose uh, God and God's word. This promise, I'm as convinced, I, I, I want you to look at me and I, I am convinced, as convinced about his coming for me this time in the rapture as I am that he came the first time to die for my sins. Why would he come and purchase a possession only to see the wrath of God fall upon the possession that he's already paid the price for? Why, why would, was it insufficient? Was his sufferings insufficient with his death for naught? The imminent return of Christ is much a promise as the first coming of Christ. Number three, it's a piercing promise affecting all that we are and do. It's a piercing a promise, a piercing promise affecting all that we are and do. And by piercing, I mean for those that see this revelation, for those that assimilate it into their heart, it pierces to the deepest part of who we are. You can't believe in the imminent, which means sudden, any moment return of Jesus Christ, and it not affect every part of your life. That's why churches can become lukewarm and indifferent and apathetic and carnal because they're not expecting a king to come back who can show shame, can see shame in his eyes for you or approval. It's the piercing promise that we have of his coming. It is sobering. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 through 10. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunk are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on a breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. As many of you know, I've shared over the years all that God had saved me from, and one of them, one part was a, a life of drunkenness. And so when he uses a word here like be sober, he's talking about spiritual drunkenness. Let me just tell you a few things that those of us who God has freed from alcohol abuse know and understand. You're usually more drunk than you think you are. Other people know you're drunk before you do. You are unaware of your surroundings. You are falsely overconfident in your abilities and your capacities. And many accidents happen while a person is drunk. So what's he telling us? He said, be sober. Know where you are. Know who you are. Know your surroundings. Know the hour in which you live. Don't, alcohol alters our ability to perceive. It makes the ugly person think they're beautiful. It makes the little boy think he can whip this large guy. It alters your reality. And he said, don't, don't be like that. Don't let the carnality in the church compromise your sobriety. Be sober. Don't partake of the things of this world to where you're deluded or delusional in the reality that is going on around you. It is a prioritizing promise. 
essential and non-essential did not begin two months ago. We know what is essential and what is non-essential when we base our lives and make our decisions through the lens of Christ could come today. Christ could come today. It is comforting. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 and 10. God has not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. The day of the Lord is a day of wrath. So there's no way that I'm slated for the day of wrath if I'm not appointed unto wrath. There's no example except for the 144 Jews that are sealed in the last part of the revelation to where they preach the gospel. There's no mention of the protection of saints. Now, there will be people that come to faith in the tribulation and they will give their life. They will refuse to take the mark of the beast and bow down and worship him and they will pay with their lives. But we who have already had our sins paid for, we're not appointed under this wrath. So my confidence in the rapture not, is not based upon my works, but his finished work. It is a communal promise. All through the scripture, when anything is mentioned about the return of the Lord, it says comfort one another with these words, remind one another, provoke one another. Uh, I have this doctrine that I must be about encouraging you, you encouraging me, being part of the body. Uh, that's the person that the church is their life because I'm responsible for you and you're responsible for me like comrades in wartime. It is motivational. This promise is motivational. The ultimate reward for perseverance and faithfulness. Knowing that the Bible says, Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I understand that when he comes then I, I will not have opportunity again in Scripture to earn reward and position in the world to come. So it motivates us to spend our life or invest our life in others for God instead of spending our lives upon ourselves. It is precious. The promise of His coming is precious. Not just that He's coming, but He's coming for me. And the cry of the bridegroom will go out. The bridegroom cometh. The bridegroom cometh. And he's coming for John. He's coming for Wade. He's coming for Brooke. He's coming for Reginald. He's coming. He's not just coming for a generic grouping of people. But people that he knows intimately, thoroughly. He's coming for me. And I believe it. I long for it. I'm ready for it. Brooke, if you would come, please. And finally, it's a conditional promise. A lot of people believe that since we are saved, He has to come for us. Well, salvation is that the penalty of our sins was paid for. We've been redeemed, purchased of God unto Him. But Scripture tells us something different about the rapture of the church. Listen to this. He's coming for the person who is in Christ, born of Him, known by Him, 
and for the one in surrender to Him. Those whose Christ is Lord, not just Savior, but Lord. I have to be in Him. I have to be of Him. I have to be following Him. I have to be close to Him. He's coming for the person who is righteous. Listen to this. Having both God's imparted righteousness, which is primary, and my own holiness in living the crucified life. I cannot make myself righteous, but I can make myself unrighteous. So when we sin, we confess our sins, and we have an advocate for the Father, and He intercedes on our behalf, and when we repent, we find grace. He's not coming for unholy people. They're outside the camp. The ones who have not trimmed their lamps, the ones that aren't ready, the ones who are not pure. He's not coming from the spiritual adulterer. It's for the one that's ready. He's coming for the person who is unashamed. He said, if you are ashamed of me and my words, and or my words, I will be ashamed of you when I come in the glory of my Father with the holy angels. He's not coming for secret Christians, embarrassed Christians, anemic Christians. And it doesn't mean you have to be the loudest person in the room. It means that you are unashamed of him in any company. Like I wouldn't be ashamed of my wife or children. I don't care what you think of me. These are mine. And that's for the believer that looks to God in that way. He's coming for the person who anticipates and longs for his coming. Listen to this in Hebrews 9. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. But unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Unto them that look for him. Nobody's going that doesn't want to go. No one's going that's not watching and waiting. Oh, I was surprised with Jesus coming for me today. I wasn't looking for him. I wasn't interested, but he took me anyway. But unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. He's coming for the person who has forsaken this world and refuses to turn back. You remember Lot's wife who had the salvation, who had the exit, who had grace to leave. But God said, don't don't turn back, don't look. But that was, the look didn't kill her. The look just revealed where her heart was. She would rather have the Sodom behind her than that which God was preparing for her ahead of her. That was the revealing part. And finally, he's coming for the person who has ears to hear. I believe that when the trump of God goes off, announcing the perusia, the catching away, I believe those that are tuned into the frequency of the world won't hear anything. Just like when God spoke from heaven and some thought it thundered. They didn't know. But the one that knows his whispers will know his shout. The one that knows his voice above everyone else's voice, different than everyone else's voice. The one who's intimately acquainted. And then they would say, that's the Lord. Are you really ready? If the trump went off right now, is there something you have to undo or unplug? Something you have to go back and make right? 
The Bible says that every man that hath this hope, the blessed hope, purifies himself even as Christ is pure. The beauty of God's grace is that he not only tells us what he's going to do, he told us why he was going to do it, and he's given us time to prepare for it. Make sure that there's nothing between you and God. The thing that you keep from God will keep you from God. Make sure that you're ready. And have that confidence that when you lay down at night, you say to yourself or in your family altar with your family, He could come tonight. When you wake up, this could be the day. I've used this illustration many times, but for those that are tuning in new to our church, this is what I want my life to be like. Picture a huge uh, hot air balloon. It's just full to capacity. You can't put any more hot air, helium, nothing in it. It's full. And it's straining against the ground. And it has 10 anchor ropes. I want to have one. Cut the nine and cut a little piece out of the last one. So where the least little bit of wind. Love not this world, neither the things that are in this world. For if you love this world, you're the enemy of God. Get ready. For the Son of Man cometh in an hour which you know not or think not. But we who are children of the day, this day will not catch us unawares. Let's pray together. Father, I just come before you now not as a pastor or a preacher, but as your son. And I just thank you for all that you've done in my life, convicting me, uh, chastising me, pruning me, that would keep my ears tuned to your voice and my eyes focused upon you and your return. I pray for my wife and myself and my babies that we be accounted worthy to escape the great and terrible day of the Lord. But this hope that I have, O oh God, is the beginning of all that I've ever longed for. Because in one moment, I'm going to be changed. The capacity to sin will be removed. And forever, I'll be with you. Oh, God, don't let us miss that day. Oh, God, let us keep our eyes heavenward. Keep our candles burning. Our heart longing. And our, 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 our soul confident that he wouldn't pay that much for me and leave me here. And let the world mock, let the apostate church mock, let others scoff at his returning. But as for me, Lord, I believe, and I'm looking for you, even now. Help us to comfort one another and to provoke one another to good works and remind one another, even the hard conversations with other believers. You can't do that right. The Lord's coming. The Lord's at the door. Be ready. And I just thank you in advance, O Lord that I know that you're coming for me because you died for me. And if I remain in you, all is well. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Church family, we love you. We miss you. We hope that if Jesus tarries, these uh, sanctions and quarantines uh, will be lifted in stages soon and we can all come back together. Uh, 
Nothing matters more to me and my responsibility to you than not only discipleship, but making sure that I preach the whole counsel of God and that those who call this place home will also find that place as home. I love you. Have a wonderful Lord's Week. God bless you.